Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and with me is Ellie Mistal. I'm a black man who's still alive, Joe. Can't that, ask for much more. That is true. Well, you can ask for one thing more, which is to have a show that's sponsored. So also thanks to Smith AI for sponsoring the show. But those two things. Yeah, so what's, uh, what's new with you these days? I'm just happy that our sponsor, Smith AI, isn't trying to kill me like what? some other technology um, Ooh, what was your world. what was your run-in with technology? I didn't have a personal run-in. I read this story on mm-hmm. Vox today. Okay. Um, apparently, self-driving cars, which are supposed to be the future. They will be. Have not been sufficiently tested in terms of their um, person recognition. So the cameras that they're using in some self-driving cars, according to a study at a Georgia Tech... Um, they can't recognize black people. Yeah. And I'm... so there's a they have a 5% chance higher likelihood of striking dark-skinned pedestrians because <laughs> their models, their tracking models, weren't tested, as far as we can tell, on people with darker skin. Well, the question would be, and I, I've seen you know just the news report about this. I would be interested to see, not that this makes it okay, but... I would be interested to see what the distinction is between that elevated likelihood and the elevated likelihood of just regular drivers. Uh, Because the issue here is more nighttime driving, that it's not because they're using visual cameras that, you know, darker skinned folks with less reflectivity are harder for those cameras to see in the dark, which is a bad thing, though it is also a thing that affects manually driven cars, I be- I would believe, at a higher rate. The question then is not get rid of driverless cars because they have an issue seeing dark skin at night. And more, they are probably, A, they may actually still be better than the common driver. And B, shouldn't this then be the sort of situation where we demand that our driverless cars be even better than that with other technologies like infrared Infrared. or something like that. So you've retconned this story from, oh my God, the driverless cars are trying to kill me, to no, 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 I'm forgetting just how racist regular ass people are who are also trying to kill me when they're driving their vehicle. I don't necessarily know as though it's, well, I mean, there are certainly racist ass people who are trying to kill you in their cars. Those people exist mostly in, in Charlottesville. But, um... Actually, I shouldn't say mostly, but <laughs> most notably in Charlottesville. But that's not who we're talking about. Uh, I'm actually saying that I would be interested in comparing this number to just eyesight issues. I see what you're saying, and and, and it's and it's a nice it's a nice retcon. But I think that the bigger issue here is kind of the lack of diversity in tech, right? Okay, this, that that's th- a, that's a good angle to spin it into a bigger story. Right? Yeah, like this is a baseline thing that would have been tested or would have been found out, or at least they would have had an answer for, if you had more diversity in these companies making these kinds of technologies, testing them on a wider range of, in this case, skin tones situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I I think that's true too, and I think that there's something to be said for a 
engineer working on this project who was black would probably have said earlier in the process, is there a way we can make sure this is better than, you know, the yeah. way normal Is there a way black? we can make sure this can see me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean... Because that's going to be important at some point. I ab- absolutely agree. But I, I do think... I I I, I, ju- I do think that you think that the robots are still going to end up being better than the actual humans. Yeah, even well, even their racism will be less impactful than human racism. Yeah, um, I I don't that, yes that, in this instance I think this is a vision thing and less a racism thing. You know, professors from Tennessee law schools, notwithstanding, who were making reference to a law professor who actively told people to run over black people a few years ago but um protesters yeah that happen to be black but i will note that i'm now looking back just because i i have the power of the computers here and i'm looking back and there was a study done a year ago about how african americans are disproportionately killed in african american pedestrians are disproportionately killed in car crashes already just like regular ones driven by people. So I would like to compare before we write off driverless cars, compare that number with the manual number. Not that that means we shouldn't strive for better, but I think it's probably true that it's already still safer. Um, But I do think your questions about diversity and the importance of it within the tech industry are well noted. You be sure to let me know how that study goes when I'm sitting dead and under the wheel of a Tesla. Right. My issue is the actual numbers show that the odds that you're sitting dead underneath the wheel of a Chevy driven by anybody today is still higher than that. So you can you can have that complaint all you want, but I'm comparing the two and um, one of them wins probably. Mm. So because there's just a statistically better chance. I mean, you're a poker player. You I, you you would you don't say I hate full houses because once I lost, <laughs> to, uh, yes. you know, like it's um. No, I hear that, but I, I'm thinking that I understand what you're saying in terms of the likelihood of human driver error. Right. This is all solved with infrared technology. Oh, that I completely agree and with. Yeah. I, I've, from these studies, I haven't heard a reason for why that's not the, the backstop here. Right. My guess is that there's a— I mean, unless they're worried about, like, accidentally running over zombies— Right. It, well, and, and I mean, the vampire population we would have to worry about. But no, I think that there's— there's probably, and I don't know, there's probably some reason you can't fully go to IR, which has to do with false positives and stuff like that. That said, there's no reason it shouldn't be integrated into the mix, maybe with algorithms that balance out when things are, you know, there's no visual, but there is an IR versus not. Like, I think there's ways to deal with this, and this should all be considered, because you can never reach 0% of fail with something, but you can. You should be, with all of these technologies, aiming towards the idea that it must be at least as, if not significantly more safe than human error. And I think they probably are better now, but that is not an excuse not to continue to strive to make it better, especially when the incidences like this are something that is disproportionately affecting the population. Look, with all of these, with all, and we've had episodes on this kind of technology before. With all of these, with all of mm-hmm. these situations, I ask the same fundamental question: When it fails, because it's yeah. gonna fail, right? Who are we suing? Are we suing the operator? Are we suing the company? Are we suing the the company that made the technology? Like, I mean, this is a study done by professors um, at Georgia Tech 
based on what public data they could have, they're mm -hmm. not, you know, these are professors, these companies are not like giving away their data for these studies to be right. to be uh to be done. And they're not, for the most part, really on the road causing death and destruction and damage. If you had the car out there on the road, five percent more likely to kill black people, and then the five percent more black people are being killed or injured, who are we allowed to sue at that point, right? I think that is the big unanswered question with a lot of these technologies. When it's a real human driver, you understand we have an entire system based around when you can sue the real hum human driver or their insurance company, or when it's a design defect that allows you to sue the automaker. I don't think that that has been figured out sufficiently in the driverless car space. And oh. We're going to need to figure it out. Absolutely hasn't. Actually, our friends over at Legal Tech News wrote an article about this today that was included in Morning Docket. Uh, for those of you who read Above the Law, which all of you should, there's a link to it in Morning Docket that talks about the ways in which the driverless technology is going to change aspects of the law that in unpredictable ways, one of which is definitely going to be the insurance industry and how it deals with stuff. And you say, who are we going to sue? The issue right now is the insurance companies generally look at everything and figure out who's to blame. About 85% of accidents are human error, yada, yada. Now, that number is going to go massively down. Even with this fail rate, it's going to be way less than 85%. We know that. So we're actually making everything safer. While people like who are going to knee-jerk, crazy, like, uh, and not really thinking things through are going to say, oh, it hit this one person. We got to get these cars off the roads. It is still statistically going to always be safer than the drivered cars uh, once the technology is ready. So it's going to be safer. Now, who in those rare instances where it doesn't work, what do we do? Theoretically, the fact that the pool of money that needs to be paid out is going to be way less because there are fewer accidents will mean that we'll have to rethink the whole concept of insurance uh, because those industries probably won't exist because they won't be able to make the margins that they currently do. So what happens then? Perhaps the answer is some form of state organized. I, I mean, I would lean towards a state run through the DMV process of being licensed and whatever, workers comp style system where there's a schedule of you were injured by this driverless car. Here's a pool of money that goes to the fact that you were injured by this driverless car, because it will be, it'll be the sort of thing where private industry probably won't get in because of economies of scale just aren't big enough when there are that few accidents. And it's the sort of issue where a state could probably schedule it out better. But those questions are all still up in the air for when this uh, gets done. But it is going to be safer long-term, and it is generally safer already. And the fixation on these big outlier stories is going to be out there because the media is going to look for overblown things to scream about the robots coming to kill you. But don't fall for that sort of stuff because the statistics are our friends and it is statistically safer. But likewise, statistics are our friends. And when we see that statistics show that some people are being disproportionately hurt, that's a reason to, you know, take clear and concrete steps towards fixing that. But, no, that, that's no, a good one. I'll, I'll agree with the closing flourish. Yeah, I am, and I think that's, that's a good point. So while we were talking here, 
a lot of things. Did more rankings drop? No, no, no. A lot of things could have happened while we were having that extended discussion. And I, we might not have known about them, but we might have known about them if we had someone answering our phones for us. Which brings me to, are you missing calls? Are you spread too thin? Interruptions kill your productivity, but clients demand a quick response. The U.S.-based professional receptionists at Smith AI help law firms screen new clients and schedule appointments by phone and website chat. Plus, Smith AI integrates with your software, including Clio and LawPay. Plans start at just $60 per month. Get a free trial at smith.ai. All right. So, Let's uh, get to what's, the meat of it. What's the big news in law this week? If you are a prospective law student, the U.S. News and World Report law school rankings have dropped. Have They have leaked. Um, we have them on Above the Law right now. If you are a current law student and just want to know how your school is doing, the U.S. News rankings have leaked and we have them on Above the Law. And if you are a lawyer and just want to check in with whether or not you are still prestigious enough to have your job, the U.S. News and World Report law school rankings have leaked and we have them on Above the Law. So, yes. So, uh, in all those situations, U.S. News every year ranks schools. Uh, it is a fair enough ranking. It is not our preferred ranking, which is, of course, the Above the Law top 50 ranking, which will come out later because it uses more recent data every year. So it actually comes out a little bit later. But the U.S. News numbers are here. And uh, what happened, basically? Well, first of all, I want to do a, I want to do my plug. I want to do a plug for our series called The Decision. Oh, yes. Um, if you're applying to law schools and you are choosing between two schools, perhaps three schools with different financial aid kind of situations, please feel free to email us. We might answer your question on the website. We might answer your question on the show, um, on this very show. So, um, And they're always popular posts, um, which is why we want to do them. People always have interesting questions for us. Um, and we are happy to give that advice for free um, about which law school you should go to. So now the U.S. News and World Reporter out. That's usually about the time that's a signal for law students to really get serious and start trying to figure out where they're actually going to go to law school. If you are making that decision for yourself, please um, feel free to email us at tips, T-I-P-S, at Above the Law, and we will either answer your question on online um, or talk about it here on the show. Yes, absolutely. AboveLaw.com, uh, let us know. And if you are in this process, even if you haven't formulated a question, our previous episodes about this are still out there called The Decision. We also have stories on the website that are tagged The Decision. So you can read what other students going through your current predicament have done and uh, what we've advised them to do. And so you'll get a good sense of what decisions to make. So, all right. That, that was a great said, idea. That was a great plug. What happened this year? Top 14 is still the top 14. And the reason why we call the top 14 the top 14 is because since the U.S. News and World Rankings came out, the same 14 law schools have been in some order, different every year, but in some order, the same 14 law schools have been in the top 14, except for one right. glorious year um, where it was uh, Texas, Texas right. UT broke into the top 14 for one year. Yeah. They are back down to 15 where they belong. I mean, it, it's a... <laughs> It is a completely arbitrary ranking because it falsely makes it seem as though that makes those top 14 all some order of magnitude better than the ones below it. That is untrue because it, I always make the, make the distinction that if you wanted to, you could say RC is one of the top three sodas in America. And it's like, no, 
there's a big gap between <laughs> two and three there. And that's the issue. There obviously are gradations between law schools, but the 14 number, as evidenced by that one year, is a bad number to use as a marking line because it makes it seem as though by virtue of stagnation that there's a order of magnitude difference between say 13 and 17 and there really isn't yes there is a difference between one through three and 10 through 14 that's true but don't view that t14 as though it magically impugs Im imbibes much credence to the people who are say below six I know that you picked those numbers somewhat at random, but I just, I just, no, no, those numbers were I, for a reason. I just looked it up. So 13 this year is Cornell sure. and 17 this year is USC Gould School of Law. Yeah. One of the points that I like to make, and we will, I'm sure, hit this when we do our decision episode. If you do not know if you want to live in Ithaca <laughs> or Southern California, you've got problems that I cannot help you with. Right. Uh, right? That's fair. Like, like, if you do not know if you want to practice in kind of upstate New York or Southern California, you've got problems that I cannot help you with. Yes, these rankings give you some idea of how your peers are going to view your law school. But it's in most cases, it is way more important that you are living in a place that you want to live because you most likely get a job close to the place where you went to law school or at least in their feeder markets, you know? Right. If for no other reason you're going to spend three years at this goddamn place, you should probably spend three years not hating every second of your life. Now, there are people who would hate every second of their life if they were in Southern California. Obviously, there are people who would hate every second of their life if they're in Ithaca. Those decisions are just as important in your law school decision as these arbitrary distinctions between, as Joe put it, 13 and 17. Yeah, I, I think that there's... I am very opposed to the T14 label, though we use it all the time because it's a rubric that the industry follows. But I'm opposed to it because I think it artificially inflates those schools. And I did not pick all those numbers at random, like one through three, as we sometimes call the YHS group, are definitely a level different than the CCN group, which right. is the Chicago, Columbia, and NYU group. And all six of those are markedly different than the stuff that comes below that. But I don't think that there's a... You just call Penn stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just don't think that Northwestern or Georgetown are so appreciably different in reputation in anyone's mind than Vanderbilt or Washington in St. Louis. Yes. That I, I, I think that... So that's why I've, I've often spoken ill of the T14 moniker because I think it gives people a false understanding of those schools. Whereas Stanford is appreciably different than Berkeley. And Stanford is, I would say, appreciably different than NYU and Columbia. That It's just a different animal in those top three, next three, and then the rest of the group down. Uh, I don't know well, where the cutoff really is between the people who are in a kind of dogfight with the Georgetowns and Cornells of the world and the Vanderbilts and the Washingtons of the world. But there's a cutoff somewhere, and but it's not 14. Right. Let's talk about this year's big winner, big mover, big shaker. Okay. Um, University of Florida. Yeah. Up 10 spots. Yeah. Now in a tie for 31. What do you think about that? What do you think about Florida 11 School of Law? Um, it's, it's great for the Southeast. You know, they needed a public school down there that uh, could really, you know, help produce more lawyers. Florida is a big market for legal needs. I don't, you know. 
What, Good what, for them. I, I find a couple of things interesting. Okay. One, what we have is really clear separation from between Florida and Miami at this point in the rankings, uh, with Florida's with Florida coming up so so much. Given how important the Southeast is, and given how important Florida is in terms of job opportunities and you know f- finances, um, that really I think is is something for people to to recognize and notice, yeah. right? Um, not to mention the fact that Florida uh, is is fundamentally a state school, and so you're if you're in state, you're fundamentally getting a better deal. Yeah. If you go to Florida now, when you ha- when you look at a school like Florida versus even other schools in the Southeast outside of Florida. I think you have to consider Florida a really strong option. So if you're choosing between potentially Florida and Vanderbilt, you know, yeah. Vanderbilt's going to do a lot for you. Yeah. Um, if you want to work in DC. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think I think if, Vanderbilt's yeah in the group where you could probably go to a lot of different places. Right. But, but I'm saying Vanderbilt's going to do a lot for you if you want to work in DC versus Florida. I see. If you want to be other places besides the South, yes. Right? But if you want to work in Miami. You know, and you're choosing between Florida and Vanderbilt, and you're native to Florida. You're getting that tuition mm-hmm. um, discount because you're native to Florida. You've got to consider Florida as a real option, even if you do get into a Vanderbilt or a Georgetown or a school like that. Yeah, I mean, I, frankly, the whole SEC had a pretty good run here because Alabama, Nick Saban, Alabama is in the top twenty-five, up a couple spaces. Georgia is up five spaces this year. Florida, as we've been discussing, is up 10. Uh, the public schools of the Southeast have had a really good year in these rankings, and that does bode well for markets that are bigger deals. Like, no, there are not going to be a big law firm moving into Tuscaloosa. However, you know, with the boom of business in places like Houston, this is where those schools can kind of excel because that oil and gas, gulf area, energy work is there and they they hire out of those places. So this is a it's been a good year if you're from the southeast and want to live in that general neck of the woods. And yet it wasn't a good year for Emory. Correct. It, <laughs> as I said, public schools. Uh Emory is still it's 26, so it's still in a good shape, but it did fall four spaces. And one wonders if if part of that, I mean that has to be I mean and I don't mean like just just kind of ephemerally. No, it probably directly is related to the success of Georgia and Florida, right? right? Because the U.S. news rankings are based on inputs rather than outputs. They're based on the quality of the students choosing to go there. Florida got a bunch of students that in another year would have gone to Emory and didn't. And that hurts Emory a little bit and helps Florida. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I imagine a Florida, a Georgia are getting those students, and even in Alabama are getting those students, and Emory is not, is because of the price tag. Like the smarter you are and the more kind of concerned you are about law school debt and how much, and law school debt, cost of living, um, all of these factors, the less attractive a private school in that same area is going to be, unless that private school can really blow you away with superior job prospects. Yeah. Right. Obviously, if you're looking at Emory versus Florida State, Emory is still... <laughs> Which is down one place this year. Uh, Emory is going to still look like an option, right? But if you have states... But in general, if you have state schools that are really competing in the job market, then the extra bump in private school tuition 
starts to make a lot less sense. We would be remiss to not mention that UNC also, uh, North Carolina also had a giant bump of 11. Uh, you're switching conference. Now you're an ACC. I know. I, 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 I am switching conferences, <laughs> but I'm not switching regions of the, generally regions of the country where those folks can go to work. Pepperdine, also a big winner, up 21 from two years ago and infinite from the from last year as it fell into the dreaded unranked last year uh, it's now 51 just a shade out of the top 50 but good for them uh that's crawling out of the unranked is almost impossible and uh, to do so and storm clear up to the 50s is really impressive well here's some things though right like why was it unranked last year and it was unranked last year because they didn't submit their information correctly <laughs> yeah but, but it was up 21 from the year before from so two years ago, yeah right, right. So A, it was never unranked. It was it was incomplete is what it was last year, right? Um, but I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, this is a larger point, but we know from our work and and, and many of the, the people listening who have worked in legal education understand this from their work. Law school administrators and law school deans are so obsessed with these rankings. Yeah. People lose jobs over them. People have careers derailed over them in legal education because of this goddamn report. Okay? Yeah. And what Pepperdine just showed you is that you can get slammed, completely destroyed by this magazine for a year and have it ultimately not matter that much. Right? Like it's not – as you said, U.S. News is very input-driven. So having a year was listed as unranked. Did it kill their 1L class? No. No, it did not. People still applied to Pepperdine. Good people with good LSAT scores still applied to Pepperdine, even though the school was unranked, because they could find the information widely available around the web, including our website, for why Pepperdine was unranked. Yeah. Right? So one of the, one of the things that I think administrators need to understand and do a better job of is – and especially if you're an administrator of school that is getting uh, hurt in some way by the U.S. news, you have to put out the narrative for why your ranking is what you're ranking. Mm -hmm. And and if mm -hmm. you put out that narrative kind of clearly and convincingly, we live in a world where students are going to find out. People didn't abandon Pepperdine like it was Nova Southeastern, all right? People were just like, oh, they didn't submit their forms on time. So, well, that's pretty embarrassing. Anyway, I'm going to apply to Pepperdine. Yeah. For all of the reasons that a person might apply to Pepperdine, right? So it didn't. It didn't need it. Um, look, we don't know what it would look like if Pepperdine was unranked for five years or six years, or you know, if it was a long-term problem. It was clearly a, a one-time blip. But if you've got a school that has a one-time blip down, put out your narrative for why. And you know, don't and and don't lie about it. Don't be like, oh, it's because U.S. News doesn't respect that we have. No, put out your narrative for why you went down one time for a blip. Put out your narrative for why you feel your school is undervalued by U.S. News. If you get that out and it makes sense, students are going to listen. Yeah. One big winner, and this is where we pat ourselves on the back for our decision series. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've even commented that a lot of our decision questions revolve around Howard and. We often say, ah, just look at this. I say maybe go to Howard out of the, this thing. Howard is up 20 slots this year. I assume largely because of us. Boom. Uh, but no, You're seriously. welcome. You're but, welcome. But it, it, <laughs> not, I don't think it's necessarily because of us, but it does show how we, we kind of saw a value in that school when 
the U.S. news was, was kind of a lagging indicator on it because we've been recommending when not like go to Howard over Yale, but we've been getting questions the last few years of schools that were a good 15, 16 slots above Howard. We were like, I don't know. It just feels like Howard's a better option. So patting ourselves on the back on that one. Especially when you added in the money that Howard was offering. At least right. for, it, for it, our, it, our, it, that sort of it, thing. Howard yeah. was always cheaper than the schools that were 15, 16 spots ahead of him. Right. When we were doing the series, we'll see if they keep their prices consistent. Yeah. yeah, yeah uh. But we saw some value there, and we took it, and we feel pretty good about that one. Uh Maine. It's like a stock uh, yeah. thing. Like we bought, we bought, yeah, low, we bought on low on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Maine appears to have uh, been on the other side of all this switch. They are down 20 points. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? University of Maine falls to 126 after having been 106. Can we just blame that all on Susan Collins? Would that be, would that be inappropriate? I mean, I don't know. I think uh, <laughs> I got, I got a feeling that, I um, mean, you say, People don't want to live in Ithaca. It's possible that the same fear of being in cold places are, is affecting Maine. I don't know. Yeah, um, but it's not like colder now than it was five years. I mean, it's Maine's always been cold. It, it is interesting because I would assume the legal market for Mainer lawyers would be the greater Boston market, which is a hot market right now right. for for lawyers. Or even it's just good. if you're staying local, if you're staying in Portland, Portland's doing Portland, Maine's doing fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but uh, I'm yes, I, I'm speaking more of like where the big firm hiring is. But yeah, no, but whatever it is, people uh, shunned the school this year. We'll have to look into what might have you know happened what? there. Joking aside, I bet it wasn't Collins. I bet it was LePage. Well, I mean, that guy's yeah. an asshole. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> but I mean, it's not like it's not no, like it's where not you like go to law school. Sc- yeah, yeah, but like if you if you're choosing between going into his state or not. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe. All else being equal. Yeah, I don't think most people make that decisions on that basis, frankly. Um, I think people make decisions on where to go to law school based on where they got into law school and what the deal is. I wouldn't have gone to Harvard if Bill Weld had won again. Yeah. That's that's not true. That's not that's true, true at all. Complete <laughs> lie. Especially considering you'd already been going to Harvard when you did that. There's nothing about that that's true. Yeah, but... Yeah, so that that's the rankings I, I, this I, year. I don't know why Maine fell. We we need some we need some investigation into that because um, that's that's a weirdly large drop for a school that doesn't have anything kind of scandalous, at least on my radar. Yeah, that happened to it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've seen nothing here that should suggest that. But mm-hmm. well, that's all I have on uh, these rankings. Obviously, we're going to be pouring over these for the next several days. Uh, this is all fresh to us right now. I got one more thing. Oh yeah. Man, it feels like Harvard is really cemented in that three spot. I mean, it's been a couple of years now where it's been ranked three behind Yale and Stanford. And Yale, you understand. Yale, you know, they admit eight people. They all go on to be Supreme Court justices. You get it. Um, Stanford also has that kind of small school. You know, it it is a – Stanford is a huge university. It is a small law school, whereas Harvard is a giant law school, comparatively speaking, at least in this rarefied era that we're talking about. But while for most of the rankings, they really kind of flip back and forth and flip back and forth, it does kind of feel like somehow Stanford has cracked a code here to really get a stranglehold on that. I think this is like the third year in a row. Um, There are two in Harvard. There are a couple of years where they've been tied, Mm -hmm. but like Mm -hmm. Harvard has not been ranked ahead of Stanford at least in three years. I think that's right. And I, I mean, I just from the level of the little bit of hacking we've done of the U.S. news formula, the smaller class sizes probably are paying a big part in that, you know. 
the fact that you're smaller and therefore can be a little bit more selective probably does help them stay ahead. Your student-teacher ratio is a little yeah, better. You know, it's all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, But this brings us full circle to why I don't make the gradations really between Yale, Harvard, Stanford based on these rankings. You shouldn't either. There are reasons why you might want to go to Yale versus Harvard versus Stanford, but those are all different than ones one versus two versus three. Likewise with the CCN schools. You might want to make a decision between Columbia, Chicago, NYU. There are a lot of reasons, and I have my personal choices among them, but those are all independent of what number they happen to be, as long as they're in that that group. But yes, if you come at me and say, Penn versus Yale, I have very definite opinions about why, why one is absolutely the only right answer, right? right. And, and that's, that's the real key. And that's the sort of thing that these numbers, because they're ordinal and don't have kind of the, the gradation of where the real lines are, don't reflect as well as talking it through with somebody who knows the industry, like us on the decision or anybody else that you can find, really helps. I agree with that wholeheartedly, and that's not a slam on Penn. If you yeah. if you notice uh, when when our law school rankings come out um, later, Penn consistently overperforms in our Correct. rankings um, than it does in U.S. News because of Penn's excellent uh, job prospects. Yeah, and we don't have the but you employ Amy Wax right. You know, feel on the scale um, in there just yet. I, yeah. I keep advocating for that. Yeah, no, and, and that's a good point. We also have our rankings, and they are different than these uh, because they measure different things. And Penn does overperform there. I think it probably performs a little better than it really is. Whereas I think there's some argument that U.S. News, well, actually, no, right where it is now is probably exactly where it is on that front. But other schools in our system that underperform in U.S. news are doing really well in ours and vice versa. So I always use there's a value to both. I always use Seton Hall as an example, right? Like Seton Hall is okay. the kind of law school that's not going to look particularly impressive on the U.S. news list. If you want to work as a lawyer in New York or New Jersey, which are two of the biggest legal markets in the country, Seton Hall's a damn good bet. Yeah, well, I mean, if you certainly if you think you're in a position where it's the best financial option for you and you are – reasonably certain you're going to be in the top tier of that class. Obviously, finish towards the bottom of Seton Hall, it, it's it's a bad thing, whereas finishing at the bottom of Yale is, you know, I think you get to be president. But <laughs> the um but yeah, if you're if you feel like you're going to be in the top tier of Seton Hall and you're going to get money for it, then that's that's not bad. Anyway. Cool. We good? That's all I got. Yeah. So Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with more episodes in the very near future. Sorry we took a little bit of a break uh, since the last one you heard us on, but we were on the road doing some traveling to conferences, and so we weren't able to record, so we're sorry about that, but we're glad you're still here. We're hoping that you're subscribed. That way you get all these episodes as soon as they come out. You should be. You should be leaving reviews, not just stars, but just say some things because the more direct feedback about how awesome it is and how much you enjoyed episodes helps us move up the algorithm that guides who gets to see us as a suggested podcast to listen to. You should follow Ellie at L-E-N-Y-C. I am at Joseph Patrice. On Those are both our Twitter handles. You should be reading Above the Law, listening to the Legal Talk Network's entire range of shows. You should be listening to The Jabot as well as Book of Business, which are two Above the Law podcasts. And 
with all of that said, I think we are done and we will chat in the near future. Peace out. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.